Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 424. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. It's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry and the only independent periodical for the retail, wholesale, and supplier market. Take advantage of the special subscription offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at deborahprinzing.com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 424. Our first sponsor thanks goes to the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers. Formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. Our theme for 2019, 50 States of Slow Flowers, continues today with Kendra Shermer of Laurel Creek Florals, based in Sunset, South Carolina. Listen for my conversation with Kendra in the second portion of this episode. But first, why and how does a full-time attorney and a PhD research scientist make the leap into flower farming as their side hustle? You're in for a real treat today, and you're invited to sit in on my lively and engaging conversation with Tom Precht and Sarah Dakin of Grateful Gardeners, based in Boyd's, Maryland. As a couple, Tom and Sarah exude passion and enthusiasm for their relatively new flower farming journey, one on which they embarked in 2018. In large part, their inspiration began with Tom's mother, Diana Precht, owner of Rocky Mountain Blooms in Loveland, Colorado, who is an expert dahlia grower and a new Slow Flowers member. As Sarah shared with me in an email, Diana is one of the most beautiful souls I know. I'm so lucky to have her in my life. She was our inspiration for this entire floral journey, and I know she takes great pride in seeing Tom embrace her love of dahlias. Dahlias are her legacy to us, and she gets to observe us fall in love with them in her lifetime, which is so meaningful. We now all share this flower farming journey and regularly troubleshoot together, share tubers, discuss pest control, etc. We're so grateful for the way flowers have further connected us. You will hear how Sarah and Tom balance their full-time, demanding, and stressful professions with co-parenting three children in a blended family, all while starting down the path of flower farming. It is an inspiring story, and I really appreciate this couple's honesty and transparency in sharing the origins of Grateful Gardeners with us. We'll all have to circle back in a few years for an update, for sure. Serendipitously, I met them both at the very beginning of their journey when I was Kelly Shore's guest at the second annual American Flowers Week Flower Crown Party held at M&M Plants and Flower Farm in Maryland on June 27, 2018. 
Two days later, Tom and Sarah attended the second Slow Flowers Summit in Washington, D.C., where we heard a little more of their new floral venture. This fall, when I knew I would be traveling through the D.C. metro area en route to Holly Chapel's Flower Stock Festival in mid-October, I reached out to Grateful Gardeners to see if they were up for a visit. Tom and Sarah fetched me from the train station in Baltimore and took me to see their young Maryland flower-growing operation. After touring the beautiful fields where annual flowers, foliages, and lots of dahlias were still flourishing pre-frost, we sat down in Tom and Sarah's living room to record our conversation. The couple planted their first flowers here last summer, setting up raised beds, planting rows of annuals, and erecting a seed starting structure as they began to take over portions of Sarah's mother's one-acre property. It soon made sense for Tom and Sarah to buy Grandma's house and move there with their children just a few months ago. So now instead of a 40-minute round-trip commute to tend to their flowers, they are living where their flowers grow. Fortunately, the transition hasn't disrupted the younger children's schooling, and Tom and Sarah say the change has immediately made things more efficient and effective. When we pulled into the driveway of the charming Brick Ranch house, the first thing we did was visit the brand new walk-in cooler that Tom and his dad recently finished building. Seriously, a game changer. Sarah also shared this with me. She wrote, Buying the house where we farm means we are all in and on site, which has been life-altering. No more commuting every day to the fields. Please enjoy this conversation and take a moment to follow Sarah and Tom at Grateful Gardener's Instagram feed and reach out with your words of encouragement and advice. You can see photos of them, their flowers, and some of the images I snapped while visiting their growing areas just a few weeks ago. I'll have them in today's show notes at deborahprinzing.com for episode 424. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I'm so delighted today to be in person at Grateful Gardeners, a farm in Maryland with my guests, Sarah Dakin and Tom Precht. Thank you both for welcoming me and giving me a tour. Thank you for coming. Yes, thank you, Deborah. Well, just to give you guys a little background, I'm on my way to uh, Flower Stock, uh, which Holly Chapel has in Maryland, and I had uh, kind of a extra time today. And I started thinking, who do I want to interview? Whose story do I want to share on the podcast? And I met Sarah and Tom uh, originally when you came to, well, right before uh, the Slow Flower Summit in 2018 Mm -hmm. in DC, we met at a flower crown party that Sarah just reminded me about. And Mm -hmm. you guys just showed up checking out what is this all about, right? Exactly. We didn't know anyone. So I'm grateful that the Grateful Gardeners are uh, sharing their lives with us today. And um, they've got a great story. And a lot of people who listen are gardening as and farming as couples. So that's part of it. A lot of people listening are changing careers. That's part of it. And I think you guys have a lot to share on that. So Sarah or Tom, which one of you wants to start and give us a snapshot of the, of the farm? <laughs> Me? Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're uh, going to be poking each other. All yeah, right. That's right. cool. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay. So, well, this is, it's kind of a long story, but I'll, I'll try and get the Reader's Digest version. Yeah, we'll take the long story. Okay. Yeah. So Tom and I um, both are professionals in the professional world, have been working, Tom in sales, myself as an attorney for years. We were never gardeners, didn't grow up around horticulture. This is just not our wheelhouse at all. But we, I sort of did. 
Well, Tom has, my, my, yeah, my that's true. That's true. I'll get to yeah. that in a minute. He, he she's gets sort it of through our, his DNA, right? Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's a bit of a muse for us. But um, so we, um, in, in February of 2018, we actually went to Denver uh, to visit Tom's parents. And Tom's mother, Diana Precht, who also owns Rocky Mountain Blooms out in Loveland, Colorado, she had been growing dahlias for probably 25 to 30 years. And it had been sort of a just a hobby mm-hmm. kind of grower. She loved them. She adored her dahlias and would spend hours and hours, you know, handling her tubers. And all of us thought, what are those potatoes that she's so obsessed <laughs> with? Was she, was she giving them away or selling them? Giving or? them away, enjoying yeah. them Donating on her them own kitchen table. And- she just, just, it was real passion mm-hmm. of just loving this flower. She just, I, you could just tell that she really Loved it. Quick, and quick side note, though, the reason that she loves it is we spent four years uh, when I was about uh, 10, 10 years old. We spent four years in Canby, Oregon. Oh, right. Swan Island Dahlias. Oh, she told me that. It's yeah. like literally across the street. It is. We were like five minutes from, from that's that like the Dahlia Vortex, it, right? It, right. It's 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 a, it's a concentration and they're they're big. They're big. So she was originally influenced just as a curious home gardener. Yep. Had exposure to like really good quality yep. uh, dahlia growing and then brought it back to Den- about Loveland. Yep. Yeah. She's always kind of carried it with her. That's neat. I forgot about that. Yep. That's cool. So you were visiting her. So we were visiting her and we, uh, she had just started taking the florette online course in flower mm-hmm. farming mm-hmm. and was going on and on about how, oh, I has all of these modules and you guys should check it out. It's really interesting. And we were like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's cute. Uh, <laughs> and Diana has a nice hobby. Oh, isn't she cute? And so we finally indulged her and sat down with her while we watched one of the introductory sessions that um, Aaron Benzikane was doing mm-hmm. on seeding. And it wasn't an instant like aha moment, but both of us were like, well, this is kind of interesting. This is, this would be fun mm-hmm. having no idea what we were really yeah. would be getting but into. But you were kind of looking at it in context, like how cool that Tom's mom is interested in this. She was just head over heels and, with, and, 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 and it was, it was, it's contagious to yeah. be around her love of, yeah. of, of beauty and, and flowers. So, but you weren't really connecting the dots to your lives. We were not, okay. not yet. Uh-huh. Um, but we, so we, we, it, it sort of like it had this slow, s- simmering kind mm-hmm. of thought process for us because we start talking about like, well, wouldn't it be cool to do a project like that together? To to just to have something that's our own. We. This is a second marriage for Mm -hmm. us. We had been married for, at that time, for just two years. We were integrating two families. And and both of us, individually, but then collectively, were spending a lot of time just being parents and working full-time. Yeah. And not really having a hobby or some interest that didn't involve children and didn't involve work. Right. And was just something that we loved together. Mm -hmm. So we decided like, well, let's, let's take this on. Maybe we could do something like this. I wonder if we could get some information and start something on our own. But of course we lived in a neighborhood that we no longer live in. That's new news. And you're in, tell us where you are in Maryland. So we were in Gaithersburg, Maryland in a, uh, Montgomery County, Maryland is about 30 miles Northwest of Washington, DC. Okay. Very, very population dense. A lot of good opportunities to sell flowers. Sure, here, but 
very expensive mm. and we didn't have land. We were living in a very populated, densely populated neighborhood with postage stamp little yards. Uh, we were renting our space. We didn't even own a house at that time. So we were, we didn't have anywhere to grow anything. Right. And so that was the first challenge. That's a huge we, hurdle. Yeah. Where are we going to put seeds in the dirt? So it just turns out through a, a series of happenstance and, and circumstances that my mom uh, had moved here several years ago before that. And she lived on an acre of land and said, Sarah, you, why don't you just come out here? You guys can do whatever you want in our yard. We don't care. Uh, and they were getting older and my mom had had some health issues that had occurred. So it was clear that having us here was going to give us a, a lot of freedom. It wasn't going to cost us anything. And it was also by virtue of my parents and their age and their circumstances going to help them yeah. on this space because they couldn't take care of this property. Any and longer. this property, which we just toured is Tom, were you saying it's one acre? It's one acre. Okay. Uh, yeah. One acre total. Plus a house. Plus a house. Yeah. yeah I don't, I'm not sure. Yeah. But yeah. it it gave you the space that you didn't ha you didn't oh, have yeah, last yeah. year. No, it's definitely. But, but I would say about a good quarter to a third, or maybe is is was already accessible to where we could till it, pull it, you know, sod, actually plant beds. Mm -hmm. So that was like immediately you're, you can just hit the ground running. So, and you did that last year, yeah. right? When you weren't living here. Yes, right. we okay. weren't living here, and we were commuting every day. It was you know probably forty minutes round trip, twenty minutes one way. And uh, that got to be really annoying, but, but it, you know, we were passionate about it, so we were willing to do it. You've got something started. Yeah. And um, when, I'm, when we first met, it was right at the beginning of the growing season, so you had mm -hmm. barely just, like, what was your first crop that you planted? So we started with, we, at the recommendation of Florette, it was like, to start with the easy stuff. You know, we did Cosmos, Sunflowers, Zinnias, uh, and... We decided we were going to do a few dahlias mm -hmm. as an homage to Diana. Of course, yeah. we were going to have to try that. Knowing that from her and, and just in general, from the reading we were doing there, a little more high maintenance, mm -hmm. but we were going to give it a try. So we had just two little plots mm -hmm. of, of space to try things on. We immediately knew that we were meeting some people very early on in flower farming, you know, through our community and knew that these were really interesting, cool people. Mm -hmm. I, that was also a, a big draw for us that we knew very little that was going to be really important to get educated yeah. and to read and digest as much information just on how to grow things, but then also to talk to people, right? People who know a lot more than we do. It's sort of the farming way of exchange of information Pre-internet, right? Yes. I mean, how did people learn? Exactly. Oral tradition, really. Right, exactly. Pass yeah. It down. And yeah. whatever your mom could have taught you is from a completely different zone, and and you right. know probably has some some differences from Denver to or Colorado. Yeah, to a here. lot of differences. Yeah, a lot of differences. And she's, you know, we're we're constantly doing that still to this day. We're 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 always talking back Comparing and forth. Notes. But unfortunately, there's some things where it's like her season has already ended. Ours could go for another two or three yeah. weeks, but yeah, yeah, it's definitely a different. Yeah, different it's, it's cool though. That, yeah. and, but I, I, when you came, I think we t had a brief conversation before you came to the Slow Flower Summit in Washington, D.C. last summer. And I was like, who are these eager, you know, polished people who want to become farmers? So you started making friends right away. Yeah. And yeah. amongst farmers and florists in the, this market, right? Yeah, we met Kelly Shore at a Flower Crown party where we first met you. Um, didn't know anyone there. There were some local farmers who, who now I would probably laugh because they were all there amongst us, but we didn't, weren't talking to anyone right. because we didn't know anyone right. in the area. 
Um, Kelly was someone that I connected with immediately. I just thought she was so generous with her time and her information. And she just had a, such a great yeah. vibe. Um, that she's a true artist. She really is. And yeah, I just, I, she has such a social media presence and I was, I was observing her work, her design work and just thought, wow, this is someone who is really talented and I would love to pick her brain. Yeah. Um, and she also was, uh, even back in 18, pivoting her business to uh, have more collaborations with farmers. So right. the timing was probably good if, for that. You know, Serendip I, serendipitous. Uh, yeah. yeah, I've always believed that, you know, people come into your life at, a, at the moment that they're supposed to. Yeah. There's just something and, and the universe sort of just brought a, a lot of this stuff together. It's kind of congealed into a new tribe for us. We're finding our tribe. Wow. And, yeah. And that has been such a cool yeah. experience. I've, the, often told people that I, you know, even if we never grew another flower, I've met people in this world that I would want to continue to have that's in my neat. life. That's a good, good to know. From a from a uh, from a business perspective, though, too, from a sales perspective, and that's something I know a little bit about as well. <laughs> it, it, relationship building and networking is is as has been and always will be the greatest way to sell things, but also just to form connections and make partnerships and collaborations and. We're two social people, mm -hmm. so I think naturally that's been uh, that's been a, a real benefit to us to yeah. actually grow our business as fast as we have. That's a really good point too. I mean, both with your peers, but also with your customers, because mm. when when all is said and done, it's a commodity. A lot of flowers are commodities. Mm. So why would someone choose to do business with you instead of some other source? It maybe it is boil down to that care and feeding of that relationship and that kind I, of customer service I'm level. I'm a big believer in it. I'm yeah. a big believer in it because I, because unfortunately, you know, too much of, of what's going on today is, is just us too, right? Like we have the same product. We have it too. You, you know, come buy it from us. Why? Mm -hmm. Well, we're, we're good friends. We're, mm -hmm. we're, we're, we, we show you things. We educate you. We, we, we're, happy to have you out at our farm and, and we've got you your know. back yeah. yeah yeah like we'll we'll go the extra mile like you know hey one of our our designers meg owen she she's like hey can i use your guys's cooler and we're like sure yeah you know so that's the kind of thing that i yeah. think we're always trying to promote yeah you know? we kind of jumped a little bit ahead because we're talking about the farm and here you are your family has relocated now to grandma's house basically right you didn't displace your mother <laughs> no no in fact it sort of worked out that my mom um because of some health issues and also just financially i think that having this space i mean this is about a three thousand square foot home and on an acre of property which was not really getting cared for um yeah. regularly it they were going to need to be transitioning into a new part of their life. Mm -hmm. um, and my mom very much, you know, said with tears in her eyes one day, I just want to be able to sit and watch the sunset. Mm. We have this amazing vista out of, out of, right behind the flower farm. There's an open three acre field, which literally the sun sets every night, but right behind this huge flower field. And I now you added the flowers for her, right? Yes. And, and you know, <laughs> but she, I could, I was, I just, I drew upon a lot of empathy mm -hmm. to try to understand, you know, like she's, I don't know how much longer yeah. she has. She's yeah. 75. Yeah. She's had a massive heart attack. Mm -hmm. um, I would want to be able to live out my years in that way too. And if I had my, if, if I were in that situation, would I want my daughter to 
help me. Right. Um, so there was that piece, but then of course, not without some self-interest, of course, because we were already growing here. So it was like, well, would this space actually work for what we're trying to do? And does it make financial sense because we were renting in an exorbitantly high rent area, uh, throwing our money down the drain and would an investment in this home and on this on this land actually make sense? Because if we wanted to transition eventually into doing this more full time, that one of us could back off of one of these full time jobs, would it would it, this make it easier or harder to do that? And there was no question it was going to be hmm. an easier thing to do. Wow! So it's, it's, it is serendipitous to use your word, Tom. It's like you didn't have this at all an inkling that this was a year ago that this was going to be the case. No. It's wonderful. No, yeah. and I we didn't really even have a, a plan that we would, you know, it was, initially it was like, well, let's just learn on this land and then we'll find a, a, a property somewhere and maybe we'll do this down Got the road. It. We'll Got build it. a little tiny house on it. Wouldn't that be cute? We'll wait until the kids are all completely out of the house. Mm-hmm. Kind of um, like a, a, a way in the future of retirement plan. Yeah. Well, now you're living it, right? Yeah. <laughs> so we're in it now. Tom, you were saying about a third of an acre to a half of an acre is cultivated. And this year you really took it to the next level in terms of what you decided to grow. And you have the cosmos zinnias. I don't even know if you had some sunflowers this year. We did. Okay. We did, we did actually, uh, we, we, we grew the sunflowers. We were actually going to try and do succession on the sunflowers because that was something that Dave Dowling said, you've got to be growing like, you know, 90, to, 90 a week. 90 a week or some yeah. ridiculous number. I was like, I don't know, Dave. We tried. It, it, we, we got a little bit. But um, but you weren't living here all summer, so no, uh, I'll that, give you a pass again, on that. There's so many things that we, we it was like we'd love to do that, but we, we just weren't here. So yeah. now that we are, we're, we're going to be able to do more. So we did the sunflowers, Cosmos again with this year. Zinnias have always been great producers for us. But then we kind of expanded into these other fields. And so we started doing uh, Ageratum. Uh, Solosia, Gomfrina, uh, Eucalyptus, Marigolds, Chinese Forget-Me-Not. We crazy expanded our Dahlia pr- uh, production with yeah. cuttings. Well, I think it was in excess of a thousand plants of Dahlias. Wow. And so they I mean, look, and by the way, it is uh, October 13th and they're still looking amazing where we know other parts of the country have yeah. succumbed. So we're, yeah, that we're, we're lucky. Th- we are, we got, we consider ourselves very lucky. And also just the fact that, uh, you know, this is how you know, we we, can, we need every revenue dollar we can get mm-hmm. you know, in, in this early stage of our of our business. So we're real happy about that. So the dahlias and then um, Tul- tulips, tulips, ranunculus, anemones, uh, all your spring your spring crops, stuff yeah. that was coming up that we some overwintered, uh, but but a lot of stuff that was spring. Um, we've got some flocks going. We did a little bit of sea holly. We did a little bit of. Uh, 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 what Peonies, was it? Uh, we put uh, Bells of Ireland. Oh, I right. Mean, yeah. We, we, little, you know, not huge amounts, but like we said, hey, let's try it, you know, and, and it produced some stuff and we sold some stuff. But because you're still trying to decide what is your, what are your core crops going to be? Mm-hmm. I, think, I think dahlias, yeah. we know, are going to yeah, be core I, crops. Yeah, I, I think, right? unfortunately, we're coming to the conclusion that most farmers come to. If we're going to put this kind of backbreaking labor in, we're going to get the best dollar for our stem. Lysianthus is yeah. another example, right? Like, what, can, yeah. can we get $2 a stem for something? Because honestly, that's more labor, right? Like That's, that's a really revenue. good point. That's more revenue we can get. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's where we're at with the growing. But I'll tell you, it's interesting because the, and I tell people this and they kind of look at me cross-eyed because I have these gorgeous, huge focal flowers and dahlias growing in my yard. But the ones that really touch me are more and more like wildflowers, mm. things and or perennials thing, and, and all of the foliage. Yeah. Things that would be unusual and, and a little off 
kilter, not exactly what you would expect to see. I love zinnias. They're great producers. They, they're they worth their dollar. Yeah. They're cheap to buy and they produce all summer long. Yeah, there's it's not great. a lot of loss but in that But everybody can grow those. Right. I'm, I'm more interested in sort of making sort of this very small space, a boutique space where the, a designer can come in and get something that they would not be able to buy somewhere else. Right. Long-term, and long-term. or that would not ship well and is just out of reach, you know. And that I'm curious to know how that's happened because you both have mentioned since we were just touring and, and chatting in the car, you sold a little bit in year one, but your year one goal in 2018 was really just to figure out, do you like this right? and what can you grow? But what happened in 2019? How did you, I know Tom's a salesman. I know that <laughs> I know that his personality. I would buy anything from him, yes, <laughs> but I know too. Sarah is also your your personality is is gregarious, and so you can talk to every florist you meet. How did you go about building a market, and what is your market? Well, that's interesting because he is the salesperson, but I think that I'm probably more of the relationship generator mm-hmm. of this business, mm-hmm. which is ironic because I would think. That it would be the other way around, but I think Tom really you you complement each other. Yeah, she's more she's more interested in design. Yeah. than I am, and I think that that's made a connection with a lot of the designers. Sure. And she's yeah. and she's and we've been willing to go and volunteer with some of the designers. Yes, we, we've helped Kelly Shore. You know, we did a wedding where we had another designer come in and help us, Tanya. I follow you on social media and I see what she, you are yeah. doing. I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, that's yet another thing on your on your to-do list this week. Yeah, yeah, I have to say in all honesty, 2019 has been a little bananas crazy yeah. for us. I mean, we bit off a lot this year, maybe a little bit more than we should have. But we also had a child graduating from high school. We went to Europe for two weeks in the middle of the summer. I mean, there were a lot of things that that made it more complicating. I think you said yes to everything. We did. Okay. Uh, yeah. I've and, been there before. And, and the next year Start we're going to have no. to get a little bit smarter about, about that because yeah. you know, yeah. you do have to have set some limits, yeah. but, um, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I think that in one year we decided that it, it would be a great year if two things happened in 2019, it would be a great thing if we could get on Deborah Princeton's podcast <laughs> I have, uh, and I'm, I'm delighted to hear yes, that. <laughs> I am not kidding. That was my, that was a bucket list item that I, I told Tom it. in January. If, if we ever got on that podcast, that would be the best thing ever. Oh, that's it's so true. sweet. It's true. Uh, and so it was, it was that, and it was, um, if we could at least double our revenue. So what we've done this year is gotten on Deborah Princeton's podcast. Check that box. <laughs> and we have tripled our revenue. Wow. So and you still have a few more weeks of income out there. I, I do. It could it could quadruple. Wow. We still we could get you know dahlias being what they are we could get another couple grand. So especially if nobody else has them. Right. Yeah. yeah. So the income. Uh, I mean, just uh, we can just talk generalities. Like your key markets are selling to florists. And then we drove by the Whole Foods here, and Tom said, "Oh, that's where we sell flowers." So is, is that your other kind of channel then? Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, okay. no, we, um, yeah, so so we have uh, Whole Foods in Cantlands, and then we also sell to Dawson's Market in Rockville. 
And is that's that like, like a, a that's like a boutique kind of small scale? Uh, they want to be like Whole Foods, but it's more of a local kind mm-hmm. of market. But they've been super reliable, wow. and they've always been buying from us. They bought from us last season, and they continued through this season. And we had it. We 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 dabbled a little bit in trying to expand our Whole Foods, so we actually sold to the Whole Foods in Rockville as well for I think it was like two or three weeks out of the season. It, it was a bit of a pilot thing, mm-hmm. but we're definitely trying to expand that a little bit because the, the great thing about the grocery store markets is it's very reliable. It's not a ton of money but it's super reliable every week we are able to ship out flowers are you selling some. mixed bouquets they're there so this is our our little thing our style our, our our signature i guess you should say uh we do mason jars mm-hmm. and we have our little sticker on it mm-hmm. it says grateful gardeners with a logo that i designed yay i want to so, see it yeah it's amazing i, I mean I, I, <laughs> it's amazing because i love his confidence yeah, it's amazing because it, it felt like we could have gone and done like something you know super polished and whatever but I, we wanted a personal touch. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, so I love that. and and it and it parlayed into something nice. I was able to do my mom's logo for her flower mm. farm too. So I've got two logos you, out there. You have the art. You have the art going on there too. I do. Yes. I kind of have that going on. He so. does. Uh, but anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, so so the mason jar bouquets. So they're basically just a mixed bouquet. But it, the nice thing too about the mason jars is stems can be short. So even when you have some short stems early in the season, you can still use them for those. Well, and the other thing is like. They're not specifying what they want in that. They just no. want it to be pretty. Well, that, there you go. And we learned this lesson very early on. This is an interesting thing that happened. We, When we started to get a lot more variety of things we could put in the bouquets and some stuff was more unique, we started getting real, we were like, oh, the design aesthetic and let's put this in and, and make sure the colors. And and we, we took it in and we thought they were the most beautiful things we'd ever done. You know, Sarah and I were like, oh, look at that. We're so proud of this. And the, the, the people at the grocery stores were like, yeah, could you, we just want color. Could you just give us color? The, the other ones, they just didn't sell very well. Those ones that we the, thought were amazing. The, the nuanced palette no. was not. And, not and they were looking at symmetry and structure and, you know, volume. Like they just I'm had like, no. Oh, look at this asymmetrical design in this We thought we jar. were doing something amazing. And, and they were yeah. like, just, could you just give could us just a ton give of us color? zinnias and marigolds, please? In a way, that's, it's okay, right? It was sure. great. profitable it for you. It was great yes. because, like I said, you've got zinnias that are these workhorse producers and just giving you tons of flowers. And guess what? We have places we can sell them, you know? So we mm-hmm. just stick tons of, you know, zinnias and marigolds and the stuff that's real easy. And, and that's been that's been a really nice feature. And it's not that the designers don't want those things, although, you know, it's, it's funny because when the dahlias started coming on, you know, we've had a ton of different bug pressure from with our dahlias. It sounds like we're trying yeah. to grow organically and we're not spraying anything to handle that. So every dahlia bag or every dahlia bud is covered with an organza bag. Yes. Which is I an, almost thought of photographing it, but I didn't want to out you too much. Oh no, you can <laughs> out me. Do. It's okay. We I put it have. on I put it on social media we anyway because it's slightly embarrassing, except that if we want viable blooms, it's the only way to do this yeah. because of the bug pressure yeah. here. So That's smart. Um but you know, I I always would find it ironic because the one dahlia that all the designers would go crazy over is the one that the bugs actually de- disseminate, you know, just decimated. Yeah. And, and the, or it's the one bloom they're like, oh, that's so unusual. And, you know, the grocery store clients wouldn't have any interest in that. Right. right. But the designers want something totally unique and, and different. So it's, it's creating that much diversity in what we're offering gives us both access into both markets. And do you kind of, like Tom, do you want to handle the grocery accounts and Sarah, you handle the designers or? No, like- we, we, we kind of, we team up. We okay. team up in that, in that respect. And just the fact that, you know, we, we, I think we both appreciate the fact that like, this is revenue. I mean, we gotta, we gotta get it from wherever we can. You know, we, we, 
we, we collaborate and we team up on a lot of these mm-hmm. things. She, I think for her, she's done a lot better job of actually fostering those designer relationships that are, are those people that are now coming to us. And I got to tell you, they're, they're basically telling us like, we love you guys. We're, we're only going to come here. Like your dahlias are amazing. We're going to come here all so the time. So they come here to pick up and, or to actually mm-hmm. quote unquote shop, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and really they, you know, and again, they can tell us, Hey, I really like this. Can you guys grow this for us next year? You know, that's obviously the Good great, feedback. great feedback that we yeah. always And like. I'm asking them, I even, I ask them, like, give me a list of the things that you want that you, that you are finding hard to, to source. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because I can, I, I'm going to try to grow that for mm-hmm. you. Grow it. And, and it sounds like you are already planning to try some new, um, well, first of all, you were showing me how you're going to rotate the fields, but you were mentioning, well, this is going to be our new crop in this row. And yeah. I guess Lysianthus, you're going to expand, for example. Oh, yes. Yeah, Lysianthus yeah. was a great Amazing. producer. Everybody wants it. It's it's a it's a good, Super profitable crop. Um, yeah. We love them. We love them. Yeah, that's definitely that's happening. <laughs> so. Um, so are you sending out an availability list, or how are these... How are these uh, designers choosing what they want? Well, so let's just say that, you know, t- working two full-time jobs and having three children and not living on the property until just about six weeks ago. Yeah. Getting a website. That was a bad question. Yeah, a website <laughs> availability list and, you know, having regular communication with customers has been very challenging. But the good news is, is that many of the small designers that we have worked with, you know, Tanya Jones, Sue uh, Tendall, you know, Meg, Meg Owen... They've just been really patient. Oh, that's neat. Um, we just recently started selling to Little Acre Flowers, which is a DC organization. Yep, they're still that, Flowers members. Yeah, yeah. Yep. and they're fantastic. And I, when I first went in and, t- and talked to them, I just said, look, I, I, I would need some flexibility on this because I'm not going to be able to send you a very cohesive availability list every week. I just don't have time yeah. to put something like that together. We're behind the eight ball on that. Yeah. She was like, that's okay. Just text me some pictures. Tell me what you've got. You know, it'll be grower's choice. That kind of flexibility has been great. The designers will contact me. Hey, I need, this is my color palette. Can you meet that demand? And Um, you are fairly present on social media, on Instagram. So maybe that's just, that's your website for now. I think it, it, it's easy for me to go out in the field, take pictures, highlight what's what's on the field and what's going on in that moment, and just post it. Yeah. Um, and you so know, immediate. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Kelly Shore was actually really good about encouraging me. You know, just I. She said I often sort. That's how I'm sourcing things. I'll see something on, and I'll be like, oh, I have to have that this week. She said it's a great medium for you. Mm. It's free to you. Mm-hmm. Use it. Yeah. You know, and let people see what you're growing. Um, so yeah, social media, while I have my, my own feelings about social media, mm-hmm. then sometimes it's not a very authentic yeah. medium for people to be using, including from, for me that at times who I'm not showing pictures of the spider mite damage on my right, dahlias, right. really, I'm right. showing you all the You're showing things. what you want people to buy. Exactly. Yeah. But, uh, the whole story includes a lot of things that aren't shiny and pretty. And that's mm. also, I think equally interesting, but in terms of actually generating income and trying to get people to get interested in what we're growing. I have fall victim to posting only beautiful pictures. Yeah. I, I don't <laughs> fault you for that. Yeah. Well, we've alluded to the fact that you both work full-time professional jobs and you've talked a little bit about your path, but um, how are you balancing your careers and will you share what you're doing and, and uh, professionally and how, how you're balancing that all out with farming. And I know it's kind of a, like, this is good cocktail party discussion. Like I'm sure when you are with your peers professionally, 
they don't even know what you're talking about when you talk about flowers. Most people think we're crazy. Okay. When you tell them that we are growing flowers, if anyone knows anything about that, they're like, how are you doing that? And you know, the designers that come out, they'll say, how are you working full-time and doing this? I don't know. So basically you have two full-time jobs. Well, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it, sort of. It, I mean, it, it is kind of insane to think about trying to balance all that and the time that it takes. But yeah. really it is. It's like literally we've just sort of, we've kind of had to give up some things, you know, and that's the sacrifice is true and, and real. And our kids are probably, would if you interviewed them, they'd probably be like, <laughs> yeah, it's all flowers all the time. And we don't <laughs> see them ever. <laughs> my, my boys just, did used to accuse me of loving my plants more than them. But I, I think now maybe they'll with, you know, they'll rescind that, you know, they, or withdraw that, yeah. that accusation. They get some perspective as they grow up because yeah, yeah. they're like, Hey, mom and dad had interests beyond us. <laughs> maybe. So, uh, uh, yeah. I'm so sorry. tell us what you're doing. Sorry to answer your question. Yeah. Um, it, I am, I have actually have a PhD in, in neuroscience and pharmacology. Uh, I was a researcher for a long time. Wow. And then I, I just had to get a, a, a higher paying job because yeah. I had kids and, yeah. and that cost money, a lot of money. So I, I went into sales, mm -hmm. scientific sales, and I've basically been doing that ever since. Wow. And uh, it's lucrative, but I got to tell you, it does not, there's no intellectual rigor. There's when no, you were you were talking about the, in the hours on the road and that sort of thing, I guess when you're on the road, you're also fantasizing about your your science projects that you're going to start doing here on the farm. Mm -hmm. So that'll happen at least. Yeah. I, I mean, that that's, my wife will tell you, I am a project guy. I'm all, I, I, I have to have things that are sort of stimulating me that are like, you know, oh man, wouldn't it be amazing if we could try this? Well, I just heard about this new technology. Let's, it'd be great if we could implement that. Uh, I, I have to be stimulated that yeah. way. And so, yes, I am thinking about those things a lot. The, the thing that has to be done is for her to say, okay, uh, that's going to cost a lot of money. If you want to do that, we, we need to pull back on You're that. You're also a Wait. bit of a MacGyver though. Some of this stuff that you've, oh, you've yeah. been able to do with just your skill set works. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I, I think, I appreciate that, that label cause I love MacGyver. Uh, but my dad is really the other one. My dad is the a, OG MacGyver. The huh? OG MacGyver. Yeah. My, and the guy who sort of taught me everything. I know, and I, I'm constantly, literally just the other day, I had him on the phone going, what in the hell would you do with this? Like, oh. how would you fix this? Wow. So he's been great. And that cooler, too. Yeah. That cooler was was all him. Yeah, you just built him. a beautiful walk-in cooler. We did, at, and that uh, was all thanks to him. So, yeah, I, I'm definitely, um, that's an aspect that I bring to this yeah. team up, is that I, I can push us forward in that direction. And then she has the, the counterpoint. Okay. All right, Sarah, yeah. tell everybody what you, your, your day job versus your non-flower yeah, non hours. Um, so I am an attorney and I've been practicing law for 22 years. So for the first 12 years, I was a litigator in child abuse and neglect cases. Wow. And for the last uh, almost 10 years, uh, I've been in the internal affairs division of the Montgomery County Police Department and litigating police misconduct. So, so much pressure, so much intensity and, and 180 degrees opposite of flowers, you know, right? In terms yeah. Of like the people that I work with, um, when I tell them I do this, they, well, they think I'm crazy a little bit, but it's such a departure from mm. who they see at the office. Right. Uh, it's probably alien. When I walk in with buckets of flowers sometimes to give to my my fellow coworkers, they love that. Yeah. Right. But they're like, wait, wait, wait where do you grow this? What, what, wait, how, how do you, how are you doing that? When do you do that? Mm. Well, after I leave here, right. I go straight out to, you know, the change this, your clothes and yes. farm. <laughs> um, it's the best part of my day. Wow. Um, 
So while it's, it's been interesting because, you know, when we first started this, I was like, oh, I would just quit my job tomorrow and do flower farming. And I still feel like it would be a journey or it would be a destination that I would love mm-hmm. to, to eventually end up in if this could be profitable enough for me to, to do something like that. But I also have come to appreciate sort of the stability and uh, the, the nice, solid 401k. Right. And having a revenue stream that is consistent that I can count on, not having to be fretting all the time about where's the money coming from. Yeah, your your anxiety is more about finding time. Yes. Versus maybe and so paying I have, for seeds. Yes, I have I have an incredible um, appreciation for those who are yeah. like Leon and Carol Carrier of Plant Masters. I mean, they they have raised three children and have have their livelihood is contingent on how flowers are doing. Yeah. Their greenhouses and fields are, are supporting the family. Yes. And yeah. so, you know, to be able to pull that off for 30 plus years is nothing short of miraculous. To right. Me because, and I, so I am definitely these, these, these kinds of people who are managing to do this, um, are, those are our heroes. We, well, we, you mentioned that like you have mentors and, and role models that you're trying to take inspiration and lessons from in terms of how how would you choose to run Grateful Gardeners. Mm -hmm. And it's also informed how we have chosen to do business. So, you know, yes, we're interested in making money. Obviously, you don't want to make an investment in a business without being profitable. But that's not the only reason we're Mm -hmm. doing this. I mean, this is a soul-fulfilling journey for the two of us. Right. And one that connects us as a couple and we get to do something together so there's been all these other sort of wonderful um, ancillary yeah. benefits from this business that have nothing to do with making money. Mm-hmm. And I, part of the reason that we can do that is because we're not relying on it for our livelihood. Right. And so, so I you're do, maybe making less, you're, you can take risks or make more thoughtful decisions because it's not so, right. you don't have to make an immediate choice of paying and, your grocery bill. And also, and also making choices about how we want to run the business that aren't going to sort of get in another lane or mm. someone else's lane. Yeah. Because I'm not, I'm not interested in just to make money to make money. And mm. I'm going to go, you know, now undersell someone at a market uh, that I know has been in that market for a period of time. Right. And that that person does rely on that income for their livelihood. Right. Why would I do something like yeah. that? It's just not the way that we want to be in business. Yeah. And if that means that we're not great savvy business people because we're not going to be at the top of the rung in, in terms of how much revenue we're generating, right. well, so be it. Because um, it, there's yeah. a lot of money out there. Though. Yeah. And yeah. we were just listening to a Facebook Live event with uh, Lisa, Lisa Mason Ziegler and mm-hmm. Dave Dowling, and they're which amazing, both amazing people. They give all their time and their input, and it's great. But they were pointing out it's a seven to eight billion dollar a year industry in the U.S. And so there's plenty of money to go around. Yeah, there's room for everyone. We're not ta- the, the goal is not to take it from our local friendly flower farmer. The goal is to take it from Central America, you know, where yeah. they're dominating. Well, and the goal is to create new demand or fulfill new demand uh, from people who haven't discovered that, oh, flowers can be grown here in my own community. Right. So, right. And, a, and a big piece of this for us, and, and this is why the slow finding you, I, I also think it's serendipitous mm. that we were like literally had just stepped into flowers and we end up at the, fl- the slow flower summit uh, that, that because the yeah. educational piece of that for us to get educated right from the start about, you know, reading, you know, flower confidential, 
getting educated about that whole process, what it meant to have these tariffs lifted. Mm -hmm. How did the political system actually, you know, drive the Recast market? Recast our whole floral marketplace. Right. And yeah. what, what's really happened? And then also just what are the growing practices in these other mm -hmm. countries? Mm -hmm. What are they, how are they treating these flowers? Mm -hmm. All of these things just were a huge influence. And it felt like it also created a foundation for, um, a purpose for this business. Interesting, yeah. Like in a way, you started it the way, the the way that is right for your yes. personal values. Yes. But you had to you had to like, <laughs> you had to hit the ground running, and you did obviously. Mm -hmm. But you 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 were surrounding yourself with people who you knew had influenced you in a positive way. It was a it was it was it was an It was the right introduction with the right information mm. at the right moment. That's awesome. Because we didn't come to it later after spending a lot of time trying to uh, I don't even know, like break into markets that weren't really yeah, appropriate for or, us. Or or I see this sometimes with florists who have had a long career and then all of a sudden they've started to discover that sustainable local and seasonal practices are actually a smart branding strategy, but they've got to undo, you know, years of, of habits or mm -hmm. mechanics that maybe aren't green and starting from scratch the right way is certainly well, gets you, gives you a, a heads up. Especially leg because up. the industry, especially for brick and mortar floors, who I know are trying to make the living. Yeah. I mean, that's a hard gig to, to endure. But um, they, you know, generally, many of them are wholesaling. You know, they're buying from wholesalers. Right. They get things delivered to them. They get whatever they can order, whatever they want, whenever they want it. And it is very hard to ask someone to walk back that convenience and think about things. It's turning everything on its head. Absolutely. I agree with you completely. It is, it is um, I keep hearing from people who want to do it, though. They're even in baby steps, like pick one crop and just just source all your dahlias locally or source all your, I don't know, all your foliage locally. Right. And if you have a little win, then you'll be more confident to take the next risk. So right. anyway, I think we're all agree in agreement to that. Yes, we are. Just fun to think about. Yep. Um, it's, it's, it's fun to think about where you're going to be in a couple of years when I come back to visit. Mm -hmm. and, I'm excited uh, to, to see too. I mean, I feel like we're, the trajectory moving forward is definitely moving in the right direction. I feel like we've been able to, um, maintain a certain level of integrity in the, how we're running this business and the way that we want to generate relationships, mm -hmm. um, that will never change. Yeah. That will be like sort of the foundation upon which to build. And I just feel that I've already experienced this in my, in other areas of my life, but it's coming true here too, is that you generate people come to you, the, the type of people that come to you, or the, you know, based on what energy you're putting out into Absolutely. the universe, yeah. you find the right people, the right customers, the right clients, all that will happen if you're putting out into the universe, the right kind of energy. So, uh, you know, that's, that's already happened. And, um, we just, we're, we just cannot get over, um, how generous this community has been, you know, in terms of giving us information and, being willing to collaborate with us, give us, you know, tips and uh, resources. You it's, truly are the grateful gardeners. We really are. <laughs> it sounds so cliche, but, you know, we really do feel incredibly grateful for, for what we have done on our own, but then also just the relationships that we've developed. So our hope is to continue to grow, be realistic about this. Like I, you know, I sometimes listen to this podcast, which I, I, 
I love um, and wonder to myself, you know, are these people struggling? Like, I mean, like this is hard work. Right. right. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are moments when we are out there and I am dirty and my arms are covered in bug bites. I'm sweating. You know, we are bloody, bloody. You have yeah. implements that have cut you. We're like they have the, we have these proud war wounds all over us, and then you and fall into bed at like eleven at night. Yeah, and, and our get backs up and, hurt, and yeah. our, and we're we're exhausted. But never once have we ever looked at each other and go, you know, we should just throw this in. Bag it we're, in. we're done. Yeah. It's very satisfying. That's a really exciting to see that you're both still in love with this and. Uh, well, you know, are together on it too. Yeah. It's it's like a solid, it's a solid vision that you share. I think I think one of, and so this kind of brings us into a whole other aspect of our of our of our uh, of our farm, but also just our principle is is we are both nature lovers. Mm-hmm. We both love being out in nature. We've we've taken so many excursions throughout the U.S., going all different places, seeing all different types of of um, of of the country. You know. Arizona and Colorado and Oregon and, and, and Montana and just some beautiful, beautiful places. And it's all about getting out of nature. Yeah. And then for us, it's also just getting our hands in the dirt. And, and you know, I, I'm a big fan of this concept called biophilia, which is basically that, that, that humans are, are sort of, you know, connected to the natural world. Like we, we evolved in the natural right. world and there's something. I love that term. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a whole thing out there. And, and, and they're really, they're supporting this with research now. They're saying that, you know, essentially a lot of the, the soil microorganisms, when you get your hands in the dirt, the soil microorganisms actually can get into your system and they can actually, you know, sort of change your sort of, you know, your neurochemistry, your, your immunology. Uh, it's, it, there's a lot to it. Let's, so go out there and, and let's do a whole episode on that. We, we <laughs> should, I think it'd be amazing. It'd be amazing. I'd be all about it. I'd be right there. But actually, but, can I just say, I heard you talk about this when on the podcast you did with your friends and yeah. I, I was Googling biophilia okay. while you were talking. There you go. I see. <laughs> so I'm, it's a little foreshadowing of another I'm episode. The professor. That's what I'm always, <laughs> I'm always trying to pass along the scientific terminology and getting people thinking about this stuff. So, but it, I love it. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I, I think that's really where we're at. So, so, and how does that translate now into how we want to operate this farm? We strive to be as green as we possibly mm-hmm. can be. We strive to maintain organic certification. We're not quite haven't certified, but we're, we we kept the practices up so that we when we do apply, it'll you've, be the you've, easiest path. Yeah, you've right? had like a, they won't come in and say, "Hey, you, you've you've been using some chemicals." It'll you've be done five the homework yeah. before. You know, you'll have to be able to get the certification. So. As, as, as green as we can that way. Uh, we, so, of course, that means, you know, certain limitations on what we can do on the farm. Um, we're starting to do some no-till kinds of stuff mm-hmm. um, because obviously we've been hearing things on your podcast, but also re- from know, others, yeah. reading about a lot of other people. It's something that's been going on a while, but it's not really caught on. And I think people are starting to understand that tilling is a really destructive thing to the, to the microbiome right. in, the, in, the, in the soil. So the, no-till. Uh, you know, planting cover crops, trying to prevent soil erosion, you know, recycling water however we can. And then coming to the, the thing that I think is going to be one of the big things for us, which is actually doing aquaponics. Yeah. For growing our flowers. Yeah, that's also so fascinating. It is. It is. I, I, it's kind of the thing that I sort of, I was looking into it and, and it was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And then as I started to investigate it further, um, I just started to realize, first of all, not a lot of people are doing it. Um, you know, people are doing hydroponics. That's a common thing that a lot of people are doing. There's, there's a guy here in, in Maryland um, called uh, Flowers by Bowers, 
real interesting people. Um, they they are they're amazing. I'm trying to think of the uh, Charles Bauer. We Charles actually Bauer. we went out actually drove all the way out there to yeah. visit his his. Um, it's kind of northeast farm. Maryland. But it's 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 hydroponics, not aquaponics. He's doing hydroponics, yeah. and he's got this big huge greenhouse that he's doing all hydroponics mm. in. And, and he was like the I'm trying to think. There was one particular flower that he I think it was snapdragons. Mm. He was like the Snapdragon King, and mm. he just did all that. Now he's diversified a bit, and he's doing, you know, roses and and uh, carnations, and carnations, wow. and a lot of different stuff. And and he is he's got an amazing setup. It's all very technical. Like he's got it's all computerized and everything, but it's hydroponics, and there's still some limitations there in terms of of as green as they can get. Um, right. Aquaponics being is more of a, uh, a stable ecosystem. So you've got fish that you're growing. So it's aquaculture. You're growing and, and, and raising fish. Like in tanks, in right? Tanks, okay, in yeah. fish tanks, giant fish tanks. And they are, uh, you know, pooping and peeing in the water. And they're also excreting ammonia out of their gills. That's another way that they get rid of their, their nitrogen. And so that soaks out into the water, okay? And then the water filters back up to the plants. The plants then absorb that nitrogen, right? So that's what they need. They filter out that water and then that gets returned to the fish clean. And then you've just got this self-perpetuating cycle that keeps going and going. Wow. So it uses 10% as much water as normal soil agriculture, which is amazing. That's Wait, huge... 10% more? Or... 10% as much. Like oh. So like, you know, essentially it's a 90% decrease. In oh, how wow. Much water okay. So use, it's right? way more efficient. Way more efficient. You know, right. The water is just being recycled, right? It's not, you're not, you know. There's no runoff. Out. There's no yeah. runoff. There's none of that. Uh, plants grow twice as fast in these systems, and we because it's like this direct nutrient. Exactly yeah. right. Like there, first of all, there, there's no issue with how much water they can get, and as long as you keep the system oxygenated, they're getting plenty of oxygen. They're getting direct access to all the nutrients they need. It's it's an amazing system. There's no soil erosion. The one beautiful thing, and I know all the farmers out there will appreciate this, you can you can grow plants at waist height. So no more bending over <laughs> to snip your flowers. Because when we were talking about this earlier and Sarah was saying, this is, you know, maybe a, a big issue for people as climate continues to change. I didn't think about the aging farmer and how that could be like exactly. an ergonomic thing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so, and, and by the way, no weeding. Yeah. Because there's no weeds. I, Are I you think, growing in a, in a, a, what kind of medium is it? So we're using, um, it's called Hydroton and okay. it's basically a clay pellet. Okay. Um, it's just some inert so, uh, something material. to stabilize the roots. Yeah, exactly. Something there's a physical uh, thing that the roots can actually root into physically and hold on, and and that's all it really needs to be. We we've tried pea gravel. Pea gravel has some limitations. Um, it can leach uh, calcium carbonate out into the water and cause pH issues. So that's not as good. So you're choosing a medium that it has more neutrality. Exactly. Yeah. Something that is more inert. So the clay pellets work. Uh, there's all kinds of other options. People use like um, uh, coconut husks and mm. things, you know, certain types of medium. A lot of stuff uh, that people use is something that people use for like propagating in too. It's, sure. It's just some it's sort available. of It's yeah. an available product. Yeah. So Tom, you're going to start experimenting with this next next year, right? Or so, even over the winter, right? Yes. Yeah, so I'm, I, I started a system uh, last winter and we tried to get it going and it was a small backyard system you know something anybody can make and uh we we had some we had some limitations with it it was basically it was really hard to regulate the temperature and so what you really need to have is a very controlled environment that you can regulate temperature in 
you've got to keep your fish happy. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's really more about keeping fish happy than it is keeping plants happy. Yeah. You become are, like a fish hobbyist all of a sudden. You kind of do. You have to actually be really good at growing and raising fish. How many fish do you need to? Well, for a small system like what we were using, uh, you know, 20 to 30. Okay. Um, wow. And, and then for larger systems that you would still be in the in sort of DIY backyard range, you could grow it up also, as many as 40 or 50. It also depends on what fish. Like not, you know, we, right. we he actually special ordered tilapia. Because tilapia are a better, uh, um, I guess they're 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 just very tolerant. They're yeah. very tolerant of pH and temperature yeah. shifts a little bit. Um, they also will eat pretty much anything. They're mm. kind of the goats of the fish world. <laughs> uh, you can feed I get them, it. You okay. can feed them like anything. They'll eat dog food. I, wow. I swear. So tilapia are really good, but for colder water, people use like bluegills or trout. Um, for warmer stuff, they use more tropical kinds of fish. It really depends on the climate you're in, and unfortunately, we're in kind of this tough spot of like, it's good for soil farming, right? Because you have a, a long warm season, but you also have a fairly harsh winter season. Right. So a lot of this is about just trying to maintain a good environment for fish to grow in. And then of course the plants respond in kind. I'm so interested in this. Yeah. Will you let me do a story about this when you get it all up and going? I will. All I right. will. I, I, and I tell you what, this is, I'm definitely committed to this and, and we're going to make this happen. This year is kind of another experimental year. We got the greenhouse going. We're going to get a, a new system going in there. Uh, but I think this is going to be kind of a long-term thing for us. So. I think it's, it's you know, innovation uh, is what's going to save this industry. So yeah, and, thank and, you for sharing that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and like I said, I, I, think, I think for us, it's, it just goes along the line with the whole principle of, yeah. of what we're trying to do on the farm. And, and so we're going to... We're it's gonna holistic. We're going to, yeah. And we're going to undertake a lot of different practices like this. I think we're just going to always be exploring ways that we can be better stewards of the environment. So... Yeah, that's a really big thing. I, I I think that Tom, one of the things I love is that his, you know, I always am kind of razzing him about his projects. Um, but at the same time, the fact that he he just took this one on, he was doing research. We were, it was like a sponge, anything he could read about it. Um, and then to see him actually build a system. And then we he was successful in getting a nice growth on seeds, corms, dahlia tubers, I mean, it just all so it's diversified, yeah. yeah. So and and you know, it's just there's the potential is really there, and because it's sort of in an area that has not really been explored, no, not mm -hmm. it's in food. You've got. I've a lot seen of I've seen tomato crops with hydroponics. I was telling Tom that I visited uh, Yavapai Community College in, in Prescott, Arizona, is doing. Mm -hmm. A bunch of this. I don't know why. Maybe mm -hmm. it's because the desert is so hard to grow food in. So they're, right. you know, but the flowers is like a natural uh, opportunity if yeah. the technology is already there. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, we've we've gone on. Um, <laughs> we could do part two next time I visit. All right. <laughs> um, this has been so delightful. I just I I hope being on the podcast has fulfilled. Dream one of your life. Yeah, now. it was bucket list check. All right. Check well, off. well, now I didn't even know any of that. That makes me even happier that I naturally wanted to call you. And, <laughs> and uh, you guys have been wonderful hosts. And um, I will share some photos of what you're growing and your family. And I took a few photos today. And uh, make sure everyone knows how to find and follow you on social media. Yeah. And we'll put that on the show notes for today's episode at DebraPrincing.com. And Sarah and Tom, thank you both so much. This has been wonderful. It's, it's our pleasure. Thank it you so much. It is absolutely our pleasure.
Thank you so much for joining my conversation today with Tom Precht and Sarah Dakin of Grateful Gardeners. Interviews like these reinforce my belief that the Slow Flowers podcast is an ideal vehicle to share inspiring voices and personalities with the broader floral community. I'm humbled that you have taken time to listen today, and I invite you to share your feedback in the comments section of today's show notes at deborahprincing.com. Our next sponsor spotlight goes to Longfield Gardens, which provides home gardeners with high-quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Check out the full catalog at Longfield Gardens. That's longfield-gardens.com. I'm so excited to get my recent order into the garden very soon. In addition to planting tulips and narcissus, I'm adding anemones for the first time, so stay tuned. I'll be sure to share photos of my anemone crop next spring in the Slow Flowers Cutting Garden. Now let's take a virtual visit to South Carolina and meet Kendra Shermer of Laurel Creek Flowers. Kendra is an event florist and flower farmer who describes her aesthetic as naturalist floristry that is consciously sourced and infused with whimsy. Originally hailing from the Appalachian Mountains of northwestern New Jersey, Kendra spent most of her childhood making snow angels or romping barefoot in the woods looking for fairies in the wild columbine blooms. Her parents always had some shady gardens along the edges of these woods, yet her own desire to tend to plants didn't come until much later. After attending Bard College and studying photography and environmental studies, Kendra lived in Nashville for almost nine years before meeting her farmer man. Craving the cleaner air and stargazing opportunities of country life, Kendra and Sam moved to a lovely farmhouse back in Appalachia in 2013 to break ground on farming dreams. Tomatoes and cows and just a small patch of zinnias blossomed into an expanded flower garden. As Kendra fell completely head over heels for all things floral and design, she expanded her offerings to wedding design services in 2015, and she's never looked back. Kendra seeks inspiration from designers all over the world and saves new ideas to bring a unique take on design to her clients. She's always adding new seed packets, too many really, to the wish list and popping in interesting perennials on any scrap of property she can dig into. Let's learn more as part of our South Carolina Spotlight in the 50 States of Slow Flowers series. Hey, I'm so excited today to continue our series, 50 States of Slow Flowers, which we're doing for 2019. And I'm really excited to be introducing our South Carolina guest, Kendra Shermer, owns Laurel Creek Florals in Sunset, South Carolina. Hi, Kendra. Hi, Deborah. I told you that I, just now, we're in person, that I wanted to interview you and I had you on my list and I was going to have to call you and then you showed up here at Flowerstock. Serendipity at its finest. Yeah. How did that happen? I decided impulsively to come for the one day of Flowerstock, so drove wow. eight hours yesterday and here I am. And now yeah. I'm Oh, it's so true. It was meant to be. Well, we met, we were just talking about this, we met about three years ago in Raleigh and you mm-hmm. were... I didn't realize you were relatively new in your business. Yeah, I guess it was, if it was three years ago, I, I was probably just a year and a half in or so. Well, Kendra, <laughs> give us a snapshot of Laurel Creek Florals and what, what does that all encompass in your business? So I am a farmer florist. I've got about up to a third of an acre, probably closer to a quarter acre, if you count the morning glory covered beds that <laughs> have been neglected. <laughs> it's the end of the season. You're, you're forgiven. Yes. <sighs> I've let too much go to seed, though. <laughs> 
But uh, my partner grows vegetables and does pigs and beef, and I just kind of threw out some zinnias. Well, he likes to remind me he planted those seeds initially. Also, oh, he thinks the fa- he's the founder of the business. <laughs> yep. And then he created a monster, and I'm just obsessed at flowers and never have time to really help him with tomatoes or anything. Oh, my gosh. So. <laughs> wow. So you started growing before you jumped into yes. design? or Yeah, just a few rows, and I guess it was um, summer of 2015, about a year after we moved to the farm, that I... Um, was working at this little cool grocery store that sources local stuff. It's called Swamp Rabbit Cafe and Grocery. I'd been working there, and I asked the owner, hey, would you guys want to sell some bouquets? And she said, oh, we'd have never had a flower farm. That'd be great. And looking back, I'm just so embarrassed. They're just these like pitiful little zinnia bunches, probably way past their vase life. And now I'm like, ooh, I'm just so grateful that people still kept buying them. <laughs> wow. So you were, working, you were working there in a different capacity, and, and yes. just retail, basically. And I was working in restaurants as a server as well, mm-hmm. which I balanced that night life, horrible life of working <laughs> on your feet till two o'clock in the morning with um, trying to be a farmer for about two years before I hit my Oh my limit. gosh. So that, that's almost like those are two opposing concepts. It was really Late tough. night waitressing mm-hmm. and, or bartending or whatever and like early morning. Trying to do coming. chores in the heat of the day before I had to go back at night. Yeah, it was, it was intense. So. Wow. But something really clicked when that first row of zinnias went in. Yep. And then it was just under... It wasn't even a year later that people started asking at the farmer's market if I did weddings. And I was kind of like, I was so ballsy looking back. I can't believe I just dove in headfirst. I said, sure. And I just kind of watched. I think it was like the florette. She had a little tutorial with Lynn Benzikin. Yep. On, on wedding Or flowers. Lynn Bazinski. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd like bought the DVD and watched that. I'm like, okay, spiral bouquet. And like, it's not at all how I make bouquets anymore, but... <laughs> I just kind of threw myself in, figured it out, trial and error, staying up till three o'clock in the morning, finishing, and just kept and on you did that first rolling. Wedding. Yep. It was, that was a May of 2016, and never looked back. And then less than two years, or about two years later, I was full-time self-employment, mostly because of weddings, because the profit margins are a lot better than farming. Right. <laughs> okay, so that's a lot, of con- a lot of activity just in like almost four years. So yes, back, let's back up a little bit and talk about what you're growing. I'm just curious to know, like it, you're in the South. There's some Mm -hmm. constraints with heat and humidity and hurricanes. I won't even admit how many hundreds of dollars I've wasted on seeds that I was recommended by Florette. Who's out in, you know, Washington state. Easy to grow. I'd try it. I remember direct sowing some Nigella in May and thinking, oh, it came up, but it was ragweed seedlings. Oh, no. <laughs> so I was soil. weeding ragweed seedlings out before I learned. <laughs> so looking back, I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I had no idea what I was doing. But that's, that's, that's how we all start. I think a lot of people were all, you know, sort of, the like gardening, you're mm-hmm. so regionally specific. Yeah. You know, I can see where you, you read a great blog and you get ideas, but yep. then you still have to trial it. For your own that's region. my first advice to newer growers who reach out to me or new friends who are like, how do I do this? I'm like, don't listen to anybody who's in England or on the West Coast, like what they plant and when. You have to learn, get cool flowers. Lisa yeah. Mason Ziegler's book will change your life yeah. and just take those lessons to heart. That's true. <laughs> that's true because Lisa's in Virginia and her climate is very close to South Carolina. She's still even a little cooler. So like I try to, we have to fudge her recommendations and plant even later mm-hmm. but I've also just learned by torturing and killing many hundreds of plants like what I can get away with mm-hmm. when it comes to <laughs> what are your key crops that you're growing now um you know the staples like cosmos and zinnias stuff that doesn't ship well 
Okay. I'm not a purist when it comes to my wedding sourcing, but I try to be as transparent as possible. Mm-hmm. Like my captions with my Instagram posts will often say 85% local. You know, it's all mm-hmm. just a gut number. It's not actually like counting every stem wow. because I'm not very wow. diligent at stem counting. But. See, that, <laughs> that, well, first of all, I'm impressed that you're telling people that. Mm-hmm. I'm also impressed that early in the game, you figured out in order to serve the bridal market or the wedding market, you had to be flexible about yep. sourcing and I fantasize about being just like Jenny Love and only but I'm not a diligent enough farmer okay <laughs> to really make so that you, happen you, your core <laughs> flowers are your what you grow and then you yeah. fill in mm-hmm. and you're just I wouldn't even have the courage to go get a wholesale license and, and buy from a wholesaler <laughs> but you just that's been a process too and I mean I reached out to a couple designers pretty early on and asked them like really like looking back I'm kind of like oh, I can't believe I was ballsy enough to do that like where did you source this or how would you do this Or I even tried to ask, like, how would you price? Just because I didn't want to be the farmer who was undercutting. So I was trying to not be that guy. Right. But looking back, I'm kind of like, I guess that was kind of not, like, the most polite thing to do. Like, (laughs) What would you do if some newbie called you and asked you about your pricing? I have sent my, like, pricing brochure to a couple newer flower farmers who are interested in weddings because I'm like, oh, dear, if they're charging $25 for a centerpiece, like, they need to know that's not okay now. In in my marketplace. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty open book like that, and I think... That's been well received. I don't think anyone's like offended uh, yeah. by that. <laughs> no, I think that's really true in, in both flower farming and floral design. Mm-hmm. I had some flower farmers tell me a couple days ago um, that they were trying to be conscious of not being the ones at the farmer's market who had the lowest price. Yeah. I love collusion between vendors at markets. So. <laughs> I know it's technically illegal, but it's, like, why not? <laughs> we, we have a term called crop planning in, in the circles that I run in Seattle. Um, it's not price fixing and it's not collusion. It's like being, in, being intentional about the market yep. prices. Yeah. Um, so how would you describe your aesthetic? I love watching your feed. It's so playful and you're very confident and bold with color, mm-hmm. maybe more so than your typical wedding designer. That's uh, been since day one. I had for a while, I wouldn't ever get any of the blush weddings because I think people thought I didn't do that. I'm like, I can do it all. Like, you just you can send send money my way. I can mm-hmm. do all white. Mm-hmm. But I but had a lot of jewel tones up front and it just, having the garden, there's always something colorful, so... I don't agonize over having a, a well-curated feed that's all the same colors or, like, adding a filter that neutralizes things because I can't stand that. It has to be true to nature. Colors. Hashtag no filter and, ha- mm-hmm. and you don't care about the grit. I don't. It's so like, refreshing. I'm I just, so- I'm going to post what I want to post. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, if I did, like, three of the, like, arm shot, I call it, where I'm just holding the bouquet, you see my forearm. I'll but, try to not do three of those in a row with my with beautiful awesome. columbine tattoo. It's oh, yeah, I love it. The first flower I ever loved. <laughs> Wait, it's it's the Columbine tattoo, and we're looking at her arm here, folks. And what did you say it was? It's the, the first flower I ever loved. Oh. The little wild Columbine. Oh, it's not exactly it. the type it's of Columbine that I grew up stylized. with. Yeah. Hey, speaking of growing up, did you grow up in, in South Carolina? No, not at all. Where did you grow up? I grew up in rural New Jersey. So okay. Appalachia, but... You know, zone, whatever The other it is. end of it. <laughs> yep. And how did, I mean, I think of New Jersey, I think of Northeast, but yeah. it was... I was the northwestern part of the state, like seven miles from the border of New York. Okay. And New York City was actually technically, you have to go southeast to get there. So. Yeah. But people always think that New Jersey is just like a big suburban shithole. You know? <laughs> <laughs> a, suburban, a suburban feeder into Manhattan. Yes. Yeah. But I was from the mountains and it's pretty redneck out there. Wow. <laughs> what, did, what did you think you were going to do when you grew up if you had told me I was going to be a florist I would have laughed in your face I really had no idea (laughs) 
yeah. there was the growing side and just like putting things together and then seeing colors that I was excited about. And then I just started following all these designers. And when I realized I was scrolling on Pinterest for hours, looking at design work and agonizing over my seed choices when I was shopping, I was like, I think I found something here. You know, I was actually shopping in the geo seed catalog when I quickly memorized most of the Latin names of what I grow, and it was like really quick, I got a C plus in college level biology, by the way. I was a great student. But something so, clicked. So something about memorizing the Latin names of what I was growing came very quickly. So I think that was just a sign. That's so neat. Um, right now in your in your business, we kind of got off track. You're, you're doing weddings. Mm-hmm. Um, wedding, and what scale of wedding design are you doing? I call I kind of break it up into just personal flower orders. I have a lower minimum for those or no minimum right now. Mm-hmm. And then what I call full service weddings, that's where you get me with, I'll rent you those big old urns and the gold stands. That's the stuff that I need to rent the U-Haul for and the budget. So you have an inventory of, of things that you rent I do. Yeah. yeah, my partner's getting kind of annoyed that I'm taking over the barn with it, but <laughs> it's bringing me more business. So I right. keep telling him like, right. it's just part of what I do. Sorry. And, would, <laughs> and what, uh, what percentage of your business is, is wedding event work? As far as my profits go... I don't, yeah, I guess the sales, a yeah. large portion of it. Yeah. My other outlet is mostly just still selling through the grocery store in Greenville. So. And this is the grocery store that you originally yep. offered the crummy bouquet of zinnias to. <laughs> they loved it. Everyone loved it. But and now, now what are you giving them? Much larger bouquets and oh, probably the same number of stems, but you know, as far as the uh, wingspan of the bouquet, they used to be like these little mounds of tiny little Persian carpet zinnias. <laughs> and now you're, you're giving them more, more juicy yep. stuff. Lots of Lots of foliage, lots of sparkly fillers. <laughs> is Laurel Creek Florals uh, on the branding for the, those bouquets? Or? I staple my business card to all those sleeves. Uh-huh. I was going to do stickers, but they're pretty expensive, and I hate sticking things on straight. So, And you already have I a just staple card. the business card. People could save that if they want to email me for weddings. And does that happen? <laughs> uh, yep. I still get a lot of people who inquire saying they found me because it's not private. So. And I'm just curious about, I feel like there's a lot of agriculture in South, in South Carolina. Is, is there a general atmosphere of people being interested in local in, flowers? In flower farming? It has expanded exponentially in, like, I'd say the last two years. Okay. The first year, the bouquet sales were a little slow. And now it's like, as soon as I drop them off, they're sold out within a couple of days, which the store is always kind of like hungry for more. And I'm like, I like that because I don't want the ones I drop off Sunday to sit there till Thursday. Right. And then I bring new ones, so... So you're sticking to one one delivery a week. I try to. It's also I have a full hour drive one way, so it's really hard for me to do you know quick yeah. little drops of a few bundles here and there. I'm always trying to maximize my miles in the car. So it's probably why you're not doing CSAs or subscription business. I tried the CSA a little bit, but I had it didn't sell that well either. People are just the commitment of having something weekly or biweekly. I did the bi-weekly for a year and people would keep forgetting what week they'd pick up. Then they'd be asking me for refunds and I'd be like, you signed a contract that says no refunds. So that was just, it was almost as many emails as some of my smaller wedding orders for, you know, $15 a week. And I was like, this is just not worth it. Yeah, so. you tried it. Yeah, you tried it. If I had three acres under cultivation and I had a ton of product to move, that's a different story. But yeah. I'm, I'm more of like a boutique farm. I save all the sparkly bits for my wedding designs. That's what keeps me excited about doing weddings. Mm-hmm. And then whatever I have left over goes to the grocery. That's account. cool. That's <laughs> very cool. So uh, are you kind of winding down? We're here in the middle of October. Is your season coming to a close for not, growing? Not or? just yet. Growing, I have a lot of cleanup to do, mm-hmm. but I still have a good handful of weddings and I'm pretty tired. <laughs> I'm trying to get some of the, my friends to come out and volunteer. I have like 3,000 plugs waiting on me at home. <laughs> oh, so you're, it's like you're barely finishing up 
the season and you're already having to pivot to it's so our long growing season is pretty exhausting yeah. I almost wish I were a farther north zone because there's you mean if you're not really trying to plan a bunch of stuff in the fall and you really take winter time off you get more of a vacation but I basically take off like three weeks in January and yeah. then it's already time to start sowing again then it's got to hand watering those little soil blocks every day <laughs> what is the new what do you have just before we wrap up I want to know what do you have new planning for, planned for next year I've got a couple hundred butterfly ranunculus corms I'm very excited about oh yummy that one color it's like bright red then it fades to that coppery bronze yes I'm so excited for that. <laughs> wow. And will you start those in uh, indoors, on, like on heat pads? I should be soaking them in the next week or two, I okay. think. <laughs> wow. But it's been so hot. It was 98 degrees less than two weeks ago. So climate change is really throwing wrenches in the whole followed by the book plan. And I really wish I had another 10 years of growing under my belt before the weather started getting so wacky. But yeah, that's it keeps life of, interesting. <laughs> that's probably one of the biggest variables for people on, on the, in the coastal South. Yeah, it's just the swings can be so severe and just vulgar. Like you can have these deep hard frosts and then it's 75 degrees in February for two and a half weeks. So all the shrubs wake up. Like spirea, we have huge bushes around our 100-year-old farmhouse. Almost three years in a row, I barely could get anything because they would get blackened by the frost. They would start budding in mid-February and, and then, then were... mid to late March, it would hit like, you know, 20 degrees again and they're toasted. <laughs> That's too bad because yep. that's like free money. Or as, yes. as my mother-in-law used to say, cash money. Yep. As I'm cutting off the bushes, I say, thank you, Bertie, to the woman who built our house oh, 100 years ago. <laughs> I, hope, I hope they last for you this year. Yeah. Kendra, I just love spending time with you. I, this was such a treat that, that we so ran into each other and didn't have to do this over Skype. And uh, thank you so much. I just love Happy to share your story. Will you share some photos? Sure. Of, your beautiful flowers and this aesthetic, this non-pastel, non-blush aesthetic <laughs> we're talking about. I do have a few recent bouquets that I'm most proud of. So oh, good. Oh, good. Pushing myself. Oh, good. And we'll get a photo of your tattoo, of course. <laughs> Thanks a Yay. want to check out photos that Kendra has shared and find links to Laurel Creek Flowers social places in today's show notes at deborahprincing.com. Thank you so much for joining me today. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 532,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprincing.com. Our final sponsor thanks today goes to Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds supplied to farms large and small and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Find the full catalog of flower seeds and bulbs at johnnysseeds.com and check out my past articles featuring the wisdom and voices of flower farmers. You can find the links at deborahprincing.com in today's show notes. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers Podcast. 
Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging on to iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Bye.